Bourbon and Brown Town is an affiliate podcast of Soapbox Production and Organizing that pairs critical analyses of media, culture, politics, and everyday happenings with the tastiest of spirits. With the occasional help of Chicago's most talented and creative artists, activists, filmmakers, academics, and social entrepreneurs, Brownton unpacks current events, social issues, and gives personal insight into various topics. Soapbox is a film and social activism nonprofit that specializes in multimedia curation of creative projects centered around education, entertainment, and structural social change for a more equitable and creative world. So for this episode, sit back, sip something good, and enjoy. You've, you've heard just a, a description of what is going on down now in downtown Chicago. What's your reaction to it? What do you think about a peaceful protest that, you know, quite honestly, has um, has has turned violent? Well, I, I reject the framing. Uh, one, I, I believe violence to be a force against life and the life, and so the the, the language around destruction. And, and vandalism and looting when we're only talking about buildings and property uh, is a further continuation of a systematic issue uh, that has people so outraged. Uh, so I would name that policing uh, is a system that is here to protect uh, profit and protect property, uh, and that has been at the destruction of black lives for centuries, and it continues on a daily basis. Uh, so as almost as a journalistic responsibility uh, to be talking about Macy's and State Street and to not be talking about the dozens and dozens of unsolved police murders of the Chicago Police Department, uh, I think it's, it's problematic. Uh, and so my focus is on people uh, and, and even the, the, the claim of a protest having to be peaceful uh, is, I think, again, a further issue of depoliticizing people's rightful anger and rightful rage. Uh, and as you see all over the world and all over the country, uh, oppressed people, marginalized people are rising up. Um, and the fact that uh, centers of capital and centers that are, are connected to white supremacy are being targeted, particularly policing and the, the uh, intersection of business, uh, should be respected. So I would just encourage folks to be a little bit more uh, politically mature and understand that this is not happening in a vacuum uh, and, okay. and, and be very, very careful uh, with, with your language right now. Okay, I, I will accept that education. I'd like to welcome everyone to another installment of Bourbon in Browntown. I am your host, David of Browntown. Still in my office, you know, I'm kind of starting to love it a little more, making more of me. You know, a lot of, you know, this home was packed with a lot of people. Now people are leaving as time goes. So it's kind of just me and my pops. And that's kind of nice because it means I can do whatever the fuck I want with this office. Not necessarily true. But, you know, I got, I'm pimping, chilling out here. As always, I got Colin uh, with me in his base. How are you, Colin? What up? I'm feeling all right. In my roomie's closet once again. Of course. Um, it's like there's more space in here now. He like cleaned it out a little bit. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> he uh, felt bad. So I got more like leg room and everything. We're feeling we're feeling Gucci. Um, me and my pop sounds like a a '90s TV show. Ooh, me and my brother. Those black dudes on Nickelodeon. It's like that, but the Latin Latinx version. You and your dad. Huh. Let's go. Let's go. I'm unfamiliar. I definitely gotta gotta check that you need out. Need to peep it. If y'all are listening, 90s TV show, Me and My Brother. I don't know much more about it, but it was a good show. It was decent. Uh, shout out Nickelodeon. <laughs> not, not yet, but whatever. We can, we can shout them out. But um, as always, Brent and Bronton, you know, we're just hanging out. Still during this COVID session, but, you know, still drinking. Colin, what, what, what you sipping on today? So, I mean, shout out Ashley Giles Perkins from a couple episodes ago. 
she like she didn't she didn't sh- shame or shade me, but like she has such a beautiful cocktail because she runs her own uh, mobile bartending service. So I was like, I need to set my my B and B game up because I feel like when we were in the studio, we would like make very basic kind of drinks. But um, I got a little like triple pour bourbon with some ginger ale. Got some bitters in there. Put some little some cherries in there. Some ice. So it's like it's not. It's very simple. You know what I'm saying? But it does does the job. Heavy pours. I don't want. I don't want to leave until we're done, which might be a little bit. So uh, I'm sipping on it, feeling good. It's been a very long day. Got up pretty early this morning, uh, but productive. Feeling good generally. Uh, how are you? How how's your week been? Uh, week week's been in, uh, week's been good. I'm I'm not gonna complain. Um. Today we're, we today is one definitely one of those days where I just didn't have enough time to do everything on my list. I've been trying to get into a routine of like, I wake up and like you know as I'm stretching, smoking, I'm like, okay, this is everything that you had to do <laughs> that you should have been doing. What are you gonna focus on today? And so like I was like, well, this needs to, and I gotta touch this, and you know we got this, and there's a meeting here, and there's this, and I was like, oh shit, this is a lot of stuff. Fuck it, let's try to ham it out. So here I am. I'm actually mixing it up a little bit. I'm on my third cup of coffee. Uh, this one has like a like a chocolate liqueur thing in it. Uh, I'll also Let's have. Go. I'll probably once I finish that, I'll probably drink some Grand Marnier because I'm about to kill He's this got bottle. Plans. He has like yeah. and, and you know, and like then a first one, string, once a I string. well, I know people can't see this. We're on Zoom, but I got this like beautiful like sweet peach thing that I'm planning on downing. Um, you know, probably at the end of this podcast, but once you know, we're probably off as well. I love things uh, that people can't see this. We're on Zoom. We're also doing a podcast. That's yeah. <laughs> it's even better. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's it, it was one of those days. Definitely, it wasn't, you know, the the fear sometimes when we're, you know, uh, overloaded ourselves is, you know, burning out, right? But here I am, Thanks. you know, at this point, I'm, I'm not necessarily burnt out. I'm uh, frustrated, mm. stressed, small things that we all fear uh, and deal with on a regular basis in, you know, whatever profession we have. Um, but definitely, like, there's a lot of um, light on the tunnels, a lot of productive small things. Um, yeah. And then for for those who don't know, uh, there is a defund CPD um, kind of movement taking place through BAN, which is a black abolitionist network. Uh, and so for anyone interested, check out uh, BAN on the socials. Um, yeah, or, or online as well to, to get engaged. Shout out. So, yeah, yeah. But here we are. And I am very excited for this episode. Um, Colin, uh, could you introduce our guests and then we can kind of get the ball rolling? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm always excited about episodes like this uh, for a couple of reasons. For one, we are leaning into kind of our wheelhouse uh, as a film entity, as an activism entity, as a multimedia entity, um, as well as it's like a, like a sequel or number two to, to something we've done before. Um, investigating kind of different areas of the same subject. So obviously this is movement media. Um, we are discussing how the fight for a liberatory future in whatever aspect that is, whatever your work or your movement home is, how we do that through media in the broadest sense. Last time it was Ergo talking about podcasts and centering conversations and interviews and how to you know understand power dynamics, which are always at play, right? And so now we're talking more about independent and traditional journalism, uh, typically written form, uh, but also visuals too. Um, and we have with us Grace Del Vecchio. If y'all don't know, Grace is a freelance reporter and an undergrad student at DePaul University. When she first moved to Chicago from Philadelphia in 2018, she worked as an organizer for multiple Chicago campaigns before transitioning to journalism. While her work covers a wide range of topics, she focuses on social movements and highlights youth activism. 
Grace, what's good? Hello. GDV. Am I call you GDV? For a sure? lot of people call me this. Yes. Oh, I'm right. kind of mad I'm the only one. All right. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's, I mean, we, we can we can keep that GDV. That sounds great. I GDV, love it. How how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm on like my second glass of wine. I, I'm excited to. I'm so excited to be here. So feeling great. Yeah. Your, your excitement fuels my excitement. I'm 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 happy. I'm happy you're here. Uh, I'm happy we have connected in a weird way. I mean, I think, you know, we'll get, we'll get into all of this, um, but I I think I first just saw you um, out in the field, if you will. Um, as folks listening, hopefully know, like, summer 2020 has been very active, uh, both post kind of quarantine, both with coronavirus still running rampant, but also post George Floyd, there's been an awakening uprise um, uh, against police violence and white supremacy. BLM has had a resurgence, Black Lives Matter. Um, so it's been a lot of activity, more than there would normally be this this summer, more than ever before. Um, and it's been interesting being in the streets or going to different protests and stuff and actions and rallies around Chicago. Um, and for where I stand as Colin and a little bit of Soapbox's our entity, kind of like seeing the same kind of faces out in, in the field. Um, it's totally different in general because there's a lot more folks out, right? And whenever... I as Colin see someone out with, with a camera at a protest and everything. It's always like, okay, who are they with? Do I know them? Is that Tom? Like, what's going on? And or are they just a person with a camera who's just doing stuff? Are they, like, moving a line? Do they know the movers and shakers? Do they get okayed by organizations putting stuff on? Like, are they professional? Are they amateur? It's like, I have all these questions, right? Um, not focusing on what I'm actually supposed to be focusing on. Um, and so I kept seeing, like, Grace out in the field. Um and I think we follow each other on like socials and like, oh, this face looks familiar. Cool. Um, they finally like spoke in in IRL as the as the as young folks say at some some action or something. Um, and so and now you're here talking to us, and I'm really excited for this conversation. But it's interesting, just that's how you know it, it works in 2020, um, yeah. this digital age. Yeah, no kidding. No, I definitely know what you mean. I'll like be at a protest and I'll be like, see someone's face. I'm like, all right, all right, like break the fourth wall, go over, talk to them, like stop messaging them on Twitter, stop tweeting at them, just talk to them. Like it's this whole new like social atmosphere. Like we don't even know how to like interact in person anymore. Um, so yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad we uh, met via social media and out in the field and now we're chopping it up. So I think I first got acquainted with Grace's work through Vashon's Twitter account. Um, he's, you know, also, um, in the same world that we're in, um, has a pretty decent following on Twitter. I'm low key jealous, even though I'm not really on Twitter. So I was like, Dave, you could have a big following too. If you're going to get on Twitter, it's like, Stop yeah, posting sad shit. Sad yeah. shit. It's really just, po- well, it's like, it, it, it used to be oh, like, really? I don't think I follow you on Twitter then. You oh. probably don't. It's totally fine. If you want to be um, happy, don't. <laughs> if you want to be happy. Okay. No, but I mean, I think it's interesting, right? As like, I think I made a Twitter in 2010. Um, just for shits and giggles, I like really had no intention or anything. So I would like put, I like was doing a collection of like diary of a part-time poet. It's like, a, I'm a part-time poet, full-time, you know, human. And so that's kind of where that my Twitter became. And then slowly I started realizing, especially once I started engaging with Soapbox work that like, this is a ginormous hub for, you know, politics, for movement-based organizing, for, you know, direct actions. It's just, it's, it's, it's living and breathing constantly. Um, and it's a lot, to be honest. So I think I applaud y'all, you included, um, for like, you know, being able to sustain that. And I think what, uh, I'm curious if we could hear a little bit more about um, the steps before uh, you decided to go to DePaul uh, for journalism and kind of what that's journey been for you 
um, within what you've been seeing, you know, you know, during this administration and even past that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm originally from Philadelphia. And I like to make it very clear every single time I say that, that I'm actually from Philly, like I'm from the city of Philadelphia. Though like the first way to piss me off is when someone's like, oh, I'm from Philly, or I'm from Chicago. And I'm like, oh, where? And they're like, oh, Naperville. Like, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> dead jinx. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you're not from Chicago. Like, so. What set you claim? Uh, Naperville? It's not a set, come on. No, okay. exactly, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I'm originally from Philly and I started um, organizing in high school. Primarily, it was around uh, police brutality and gun violence. And so I did that a lot in high school with and the vast majority of my core organizers were my friends who were black and brown. And so I remember it was my senior year in high school and we planned this really big school walkout um, that was kind of aligned with the March for Our Lives movement at that time. That gives you, I'm pretty young if you want to do the math. Um, and I just remembered very distinctly that is when I grasped really grasped the power that the media has to either kind of try and make like and sustain movements or their power to make them appear that they're dead. And then we know that movements never truly die. And so I remember like we worked with some journalists. I remember just sending out tons and tons of press releases, just trying to get some kind of spotlight on what was going on. And some journalists in Philly did an incredible job of really highlighting the voices of the youth organizers and specifically black and brown youth organizers. And I was like, wow, when they do this right, it can be really incredible. And then I also saw, you know, conversely, like the way that they really tried to hurt those voices. And so I was like, okay, so if this is used correctly, this is really, really powerful. And this is a very powerful tool for the movement. So that's when I, I wasn't even going to go to school for journalism. I wasn't even going to go into journalism. And like a couple months before I like, had to make the whole decision on what I was going to study, I decided to do journalism. And so that was that decision. And then I, yeah, I moved, I got into DePaul. And I moved to Chicago. So that was kind of like leading up to that. Um, and then there's been some back and forth ever since then. But that was the original that was the original decision to go into journalism. Shout out to Paul, Blue Demon Gang. Let's go. Squad, squad, squad. squad. <laughs> Dave's alone in here. Again, is in the background. He can't talk, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, Columbia's still represented. I mean, I, th- I think that's so dope, right? I think, you know, unlike, you know, I think you have a placement that I think I'm well, actually let me not assume, right. How, how have you felt that that work in high school, you know, whether that be organizing or, you know, uh, direct actions, um, how have you feel that has impacted, um, one, how you view your studies through the DePaul's journalism program, as well as when you're out in the field this summer, as an example. It is the foundation, it it impacts in every way. It's the foundation of every single decision and move that I make because, like I said, I've gone back and forth on journalism since deciding to study it, and that is all because of this mythological objective narrative. So when I first, my first ever journalism class, my professor told us, he told me, actually, he said directly to me, you have to, like, leave your activism out of your journalism or you will not make it quote unquote you can't see me but i'm doing air quotes right now (laughs) and i was like well screw this i'm not doing that like that is ridiculous that is not why i decided to go into this that is extremely harmful that is i actually personally believe that the objective narrative is a direct tool of white supremacy it just like seeks to kill voices that are important and we need to that we need to like they need to be heard and so i decided i was like no i'm not doing that so i kind of just like decided not to do journalism and that's when i was really fully enveloped in like the organizing space in chicago 
um, which was, I provided a lot of electoral stuff, but also just mostly grassroots organizing. And then I decided to try journalism again, but do it more on my own terms and not try and like fit into this objective narrative. And so it really impacts it in every way because it's, in, it's dictated every single move I make because I seek primarily to cover activist stories and activist voices. And I know that's also my foundation. My foundation and the root of my journalism, I always say that I found journalism through activism. So that is always my foundation. That is always my root. And I was just talking about today, like my activist roots hold me accountable in my journalistic career now. Like if I, if there's ever a decision that I have to make that makes me like, whether it's like, okay, you either do this, which is like the media mindset, or you do this, which is, which is the activist mindset. I need to go and make the decision on like the activist side of me. I don't know if like that makes any sense, but it, in like, in essence, it's absolutely everything. It dictates every single move that I make. So that is always going to like, it's like I said, it's always going to hold me accountable. Yeah, totally. I, um, especially now I, I hear a lot about how if you're talking about Trump or just things we've seen in Chicago, but about politicizing things or making things like activism. Uh, and I go back and forth on how I talk about it because I'm, I'm I have been quoted saying like everything is political, which I believe in because everything is social and there's power dynamics everywhere. But also uh, there's, there's a way for him, like when we think about activism and it's like, Oh, I'm just showing up for my people or I'm just showing up because this is, respecting human dignity, but it's read as activism, which is fine. But it's like, if, if, if that's what it is and I'm being told from someone who has institutional power over me and power over my success, that like seeing human dignity in a way that's true and authentic isn't what you should be doing. Like that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> um, and to your point, yeah. it's, you know, to be objective is a impossible um, and, and bullshit and a myth, but it's at the root upholding the status quo, which includes, like you said, white supremacy, patriarchy, transphobia, ism after ism after ism after ism, right? Um, so I think that's, that's an awesome kind of a, a framework perspective of how you go into it. And I, I didn't know about, you know, kind of going back and forth between it. Because I think you look at any, I would say any field, any industry, but most, it's like in most of you that hold narratives and can uh, proliferate to the masses on a certain narrative on marginalized folks, especially, it's like you can choose not to do it because it's shitty, but who's going to do it in your place? It's like where do you kind of intervene in that in that space? Mm -hmm. um, something I, I think we all think about and will always be thinking about as we're as yeah. we're doing this work. At least from my experience, when I'm meeting folks who are in the media business, so to speak, <laughs> the um, media business. The I, see media a, business. I, I see guys with a monocle and like <laughs> a little like top hat. The media business. Hey, want to be media business? <laughs> Thanks yeah, for well, I mean, it's visual. like it's like there, there's sort of there's sort of this, um, you know, uh, way in which they'll do their best to like not not be involved politically or not like add themselves into the into the narrative, which I think sometimes like it's it's very necessary to allow other voices to take the centerfold. But I think like having that understanding, which you know, as soapbox as an entity as an organization. Uh, attempts and does manifest uh, through its work. It's like uplifting, but also understanding the issues that they're even that we're trying to uplift mm -hmm. and what the solutions are. Right. Cause oftentimes media just shoots out this like problems like, okay, here this is blah, blah. And it's kind of like, you know, you're done watching a video on dogs getting kicked around. You're like, damn, dogs just get kicked around. There's no really call to action. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. Versus when we have that, you know, uh, 
you know, mentality and understanding of the situations at hand, I really, I really think they do help shape uh, things that we're doing. But I mean, and so we, we are talking about movement media. Um, Colin, can you, for folks who didn't listen to movement media, uh, one with Ergo, could you give people a little bit of an understanding or definition of what movement media is? Didn't I do that? When? <laughs> Today? Like, like, like 10 minutes ago. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, no, I'll, no, I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate because folks weren't listening. No, but like <laughs> building on that conversation with Ergo, I, I, I think yeah. movement media is any kind of media. We're talking about, um, uh, scripted or, or reading or visuals, either photos or um, moving pictures, movies, films, videos, what have you, anything you kind of digest as, as, as art in a way is intentionally created because it all is in a way that is uplifting or uplifting movements in the, the broadest sense, the grassroots movements across the board um, and or attacking and critiquing power dynamics and showing a alternate way of doing things, alternate way of living, and a way to build a future that is liberatory and equitable and more creative. Um, that's how I said it earlier, but that's kind of how I that see it. That was beautiful. Media. You see that? Oh, I think it's, you I really think it's, just went off on that. Chula. Okay. That's Thanks, why we, we, got, we, we set him up for that um, slam, bro. Come on now. <laughs> but, you know, going off of the conversation with Ergo, you know, they uh, have a podcast. Y'all should check it out. But it's, you know, conversations that, that are based in um, talking to artists and activists um, about their work and about the broader implications of their work. Um, so that conversation, y'all should go back and listen, of course, but a lot about interviewing and about conversations, how to broaden those conversations, and how you check your blind spots uh, within those conversations and check how you have power in that in that conversation as a media creator. As much as we're trying to give space to other people, we're still harnessing the, the platform, right? Um, I remember in that conversation with Ergo, I at the time, especially, I was thinking a lot about the idea of instead of illusions of like grandeur, but illusions of of littleness, right? And so like I think you hear a lot, especially in organizing spaces, especially organized spaces with men or cis folks who are privileged, saying like I want to give a platform to other folks who don't have as much power as I do, whatever, whatever. Which thing is true in there, but for 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 Dave and I to say that about this podcast um, is true, but also it's it's me and David's podcast, right? And so, and episodes that just him and I talk, chopping up about things, which like, we're, we were obviously doing intentionally, we were okay with doing that, it's about us and bringing in folks to make conversations more robust who are doing, you know, work that we we can't do or work that's kind of beyond our capacity, but it's to, to think that we're making ourselves super small in this space is just lying to ourselves and others, and so you have to understand how to take your power in having a platform, no matter how small, and on your privilege and how you exist in the world and use that to the benefit of, of everyone. Um, and, and so with that, I, I want to pose it to you, Grace, with the work that you have done from high school to now, from having friends that you knew were being affected um, uh, with, with, with things to now seeing folks in, in Chicago and you, you may not know uh, from the outstart, um, and also traveling other places. I know you've been bouncing around and being new in places, very new in places. What is it like balancing those power dynamics, not only as like your identity as a person, but also just you being, even you're independent, doing your own thing, still have a platform and a power in a way in showing someone else's voice um, to the world that may not receive it in the way that it should be. Mm, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's such a great point. Um, well, I think the first thing to always understand is that journalists, no matter how big our platforms are, so whether you have like five Twitter, five Twitter followers or, or 15,000, <laughs> um, or if you're getting published in really big outlets or smaller outlets, like 
as a journalist, you are a gatekeeper. So that is the first thing to always, or as any kind of like media platform, like you are a gatekeeper. So that's like the first thing to always recognize and also recognize that like you might be someone's news source. So it really, you have to just like think critically about every single thing. Like, you, like that's like the biggest thing I've had to learn is I have to not just be critical of other journalists and other space. I have to be critical of myself. Like every single thing that I post, I'm like, all right, all right, think about it, think about it, think about it. And then, you know, put it out. But then also like, obviously for me, like it's not obvious maybe for people who are listening, but like I'm a white person. So that is the also the next the next biggest thing. So it's like I know but a lot of that comes up with just like you know, like we're interacting with cops at these protests, and that's what a lot of my coverage is. So I know like I work with black and brown journalists who when cops are bringing out when they start getting violent, they're like, Yeah, I like I have to leave. They're like, I am out. And I'm like, No, I respect that, but then that's like even more of a reason that I need to stay there and cover that the entire time through. So I think that's the first thing is like just being a gatekeeper in general, but then on top of that, like being a white gatekeeper. So like just like making sure that I'm using my whiteness in that space appropriately and not taking up any space and actually like making sure that my platform is used to uplift like the activists and the people that I'm actually covering in that very specific space right there. Um, and I think at the end of the day, like, like you said, like, I want to be a journalist who actually, you know, the people that I cover, I want their narratives and their voices to drive every single story, but I'm also like writing it for myself as well. So it's like mm. when I am writing a piece, sometimes I'll just have it be like all quotes. And sometimes that's really appropriate. Sometimes like my own voice should not be injected in it. Then sometimes I'll have editors be like, I know you have an opinion, like talk about it. Like say what you feel, say how that face, just like say how that space felt, like inject it a little bit. And so it's like using that appropriately um, and sparingly, I think are two really important mm. things. But I will say like, I'm already going to get into mistakes that I've made because I've, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes in doing this. And so, um, like I said, I'm from Philly and I live in Chicago. So those are two spaces that I feel very comfortable covering. <laughs> there were two mistakes. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say that. I thought I was coming. I was like, what? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> um, those are two spaces. And I had to learn. I like had to learn a lot about Chicago before I actually felt comfortable covering the issues in Chicago and covering these activists and organizer spaces in Chicago. So when a couple weeks ago I you know, had an editor ask me to go to Kenosha, Wisconsin, I was like, I was very hesitant. I was very, very hesitant to enter that space just because- Why did they ask you to go there, Grace? <laughs> um, well, after the shooting of Jacob Blake by police and which paralyzed him, um, a lot of stuff was going down in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, there was a lot of uprisings. Um, there, there was like looting going on. So that's everyone just kind of rushed to Kenosha. That's and so this is where I'm talking about and like the different mindsets of media and activists. So media all rushed to Kenosha. That was what they did. So um, a publication that I was contracting with, they were looking for you know freelancers to go up there. So I went up there. And I was very hesitant to do so because I'm like, I don't, I'm not from Kenosha. I've never lived in Kenosha. I don't know Kenosha. I don't, and at the time I didn't know the history, particularly the racial history mm. of Kenosha. So I went there and I was like, okay, I'm going to be really cautious in doing this. And I will say like, um, I'm very thankful for the community members that opened up to me. Like really, really, really thankful. However, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't have done it because I was, it was not just a space that I was unfamiliar with. I'm a white journalist going into a space of like a space that, you know, was predominantly like black and brown and a space where a black man had just been shot by police. I just didn't think if I had to do it again, I probably wouldn't do that. 
Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how cautious I was, that was not my space to be in. And I, it doesn't matter if people were willing to speak with me, and they were. I think that's just like another, you know, looking back and being critical. Like I said, I have to be critical of myself and my actions. That's a space that I would not choose to take up again. I have I have two follow-ups. My, my first is what was – how did you gain – the trust of talking to folks who were there. You said a lot of people did open up to you. Um, what was that process like? Um, and or what are your normal? Yeah, I guess what was that process like? Folks who you who did you, you didn't know who you wouldn't like see the next day maybe at a different protest like you would in Chicago. Yeah, you know that's uh, that's a good question. I think at this point I am just I just talk to people, um, and that seems like what's like duh. You're a journalist. You have to, but. <laughs> But I think just walking up to someone and be like, and I think being very upfront, that's like my one thing that I always am. I'm, I walk up and I'm like, hi, I, I am a reporter. Um, and then if they, if they decide right there, oh, no, no, I'm not talking to you, which sometimes people do. They're like, mm, no. <laughs> I'm like, you know, it's good to respect that and be like, understandable. Just be like, hi, I am a reporter. You know, state who you are to begin with. I am here to cover what, like, you know, whatever you're like the protest or this vigil or whatever you're covering would you mind speaking with me? And then I, in this day and age, I assume everything is off the record until they say otherwise. So I don't pull out and stick a recorder in their face. I don't start taking notes. I say, we start chatting. I get to know them. I ask their name. I introduce my own self. And then if we're talking and I ask them a couple questions and I think like, okay, I should, this should be on the record. I say, can this be on the record? Can I record you? But I think just like, Presenting yourself as a human and being very transparent up front is the best thing you can do, whether it's a space that you know really well or a space that you don't know really well. So I think for me, it's just going in and, like I said, assuming everything is off the record before it's on so that you're presenting yourself as a human before anything else. Does that answer your question? Totally. Totally. I think I've I've seen it in action, too, so that's awesome to hear. Like, that's how – and I think, like, that's something that's – like to your point, it's like, yeah, you talk to people. Like that's just duh. Uh, but we, we know that's not be true as far as our journalists. Um my follow up question is and I'm not trying to get you to out said entity, um, but like if it's hypothetical. Um if if a entity sends you out or you contract with an entity um that was like known for doing like good movement journalism work where they were like trusted, uh, would that would that change your feelings about it? About going into it, saying like, "Hey, I'm Grace from X Y Z. Like, can I talk to you?" Versus, "I'm Grace from shitty entity here." I don't know. I'm I'm just curious about like what the reputation of certain outlets uh, could change the way you move in the world. Yeah, no, I think I think that's an excellent question. I actually did kind of deal with that um, the past couple of weeks. So I was contracting with two different publications. And one of them um, was very sensationalist, which I am very openly anti-sensationalism in my journalism, specifically when we're talking about a space that like, there's a lot of trauma involved. A lot of people are being traumatized and hurt and don't, you can't sensationalize their pain. That's, that's like a lack of humanity there. So um, when it comes down to, so if it's, if their goal is sensationalism, which I did not realize was their goal, but like from now on mm. forward, like if I find anything sensationalist, it's like, oh, absolutely not. No, I would not. Now I know who I maybe shouldn't work with. However, the other publication that I was doing a little bit of work with, they didn't even require me to be there. 
they were just like, we want to write a piece from the narrative and the perspective of Native Kenosians who were there the night that Jacob Blake was shot and the uprisings that happened afterward. And that piece was pretty much a straight narrative. It was an introduction. This is what happened. This is the summary. And then it was just like a narrative. And these people, you know, knew what it was from the beginning and they went into it knowing, you know, what it was going to be. And they very willingly just like gave me their stories. And that was, and again, like this, this publication said, you know, if you don't even need to go to Kenosha if you don't want to, we just need you to find people who are willing to speak with you and get their perspective. And they did, and it ended up being a great piece that was very narrative driven by the people whose voices mattered the most. So I think that was something that, you know, I was happy to put my name on, you know, that was something mm. that I was like, okay, this was, this was a good, this, I'm really happy. And everyone who read it, like the connotions I sent to, like everyone I spoke to and they were like, thank you for this. Like they, they liked it. And so that's who we do that for. Like that was the voices we wanted to be here and they, they appreciated it and they, they liked that. So Something like that, yeah, yeah, I'd do that again. But when it comes down to, you know, the name only goes so far, I'm the person there, and I'm the face that they're seeing. So at the end of the day, like, yeah, it does, yeah, the publication will matter, but I'm still a white face showing up in these spaces. Thanks. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Um, there's more happening in my mind, but David, do you, have, <laughs> do you want to chime in? <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm just kind of just listening and digesting because I think, I think it's like, it's cool that you know we 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 understand these power dynamics, uh, but I, I'm I'm also interested to be to see like it's like as as media creators we we sometimes play to them right or understanding mm. like who we're with right and so as an example when I happen to be you know in a largely Latinx uh, community I like resort to switching to Spanish right as 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 a way to kind of bridge a gap which could be language right. Oftentimes you get like, you know, you're talking like, hey, hola, como está, my name is David. They'll respond to you in English and so then you proceed in English. But I think it's interesting as media creators and when we're out in the field specifically, like how how we use what we have to our advantage um, with the people around us. And I think you haven't had the experience to be in new places because, like, for example, I've never been out. I mean, that's what well, let me rephrase. I have been outside of Chicago, but to do, you know, other than D.C., which was really my first time out there trying to like do interviews in front of a camera and stuff like that. Like other than that, all of my um, sort of media creation things uh, have been in Chicago. Right. Um, and so I guess I'm kind of curious to like, how have you dealt with here in Chicago? Um, not being from Chicago. Mm. Uh, if, if any, right. Cause like, for example, like my thing would be like, you know, people would be like, Oh, well, you know, where'd you go to high school? And I'm like, I went to high school, like in the suburb right out of Chicago. Right. Cause my parents progressively moved West um, cause they, they didn't like the CPS system and blah, 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 blah. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm able to have a conversation with folks about me being a Chicago native, but for folks who aren't right, people can get pretty defensive and people are out here being like, Oh, well, yeah, where are you from? Type type thing, which also is, we, that's a whole nother podcast, but how have you, um, as a student here, uh, in Chicago dealt with that or maneuvered that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was quite the process. I will say. When I first moved to Chicago, I immediately entered the organizing space. So, and that was, that was more of like, I guess that I learned everything about Chicago in an organizer activist mm. space. So I learned about like the history of segregation in, a, in an organizer space. I learned about, you know, redlining in an organizer space. So I learned, like now I've done like further history, like, like learning on these issues, 
But that's where I originally learned about that in these grassroots organizer spaces. So then when I decided to flip and go into journalism, I came from it at a different angle and a completely different understanding than a lot of the journalists that I've worked with. So I came, so I will say like, I know how to approach things a little bit more carefully and a little bit more critically. So myself as a journalist who's not from Chicago, I actually haven't had that hard of a time communicating with people or working with people who are native Chicagoans in these spaces, because I just like, I think, I think I just have like a different, that was like my home. When I first came to move to Chicago, it was like my first home was the organizing space. I felt so out of place until I started organizing in Chicago and like working with all of these people. And like that was, that's when I felt at home. So for me, although Chicago is not my home and I'm always very upfront about that, um, I'm very, very thankful and very fortunate that that was my first landing spot when I came to Chicago. So like I'll be mentioning all these activist names to other reporters and they're like, who, who, who? And I'm like, you can't be out here reporting if you don't know that. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I'm very, very, very fortunate. The people were just very accepting of me when I first moved here a couple years ago because it's made it so much easier now as a journalist, especially like when I'm reporting on activists who already know me from when I was in the activist space. So I'd say that's giving me a leg up and just understanding and communicating. Yeah. So dope. So dope. So did, did you, did you know of like Soapbox prior to us reaching out to you? for? Yeah, I did. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. Guess oh, yeah. How do you know us? What's going on? No, well, I mean, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, that's not what I'm trying to get. I know you now. I'm, I'm just being dumb. I, I can tell you how I know you. Well, I, I mean, I'd, I'd kind of be curious because like, you know, one of our our goals, right, is is kind of, and our models are very, is very much into what you speak, right, or have spoken of. And so I'm just kind of curious um, what experiences you've had with Soapbox in general. Yeah. So I think actually, you know, it's funny. Uh, my first time ever hearing about Soapbox was at DePaul. Let's go. Um, it was my freshman year and y'all came in and did a presentation on like activism and media. And I was like, yo, this seems so cool. So I like followed y'all on social media. This is years ago. This is a wait, couple wait, years wait. ago. We did a presentation? Yeah. Oh shit. It was at that one thing. Which one? I don't know what thing it was. It was, wait, wait, it was David and I? Yeah. Oh, it was at the thing. Uh, I think I was. I think I was in grad I'm school. You, I do not remember what thing it was, was like, but you, you were on campus Wild. and I was there. So that's like when I first saw you. And then like I started, yeah, I just started seeing Colin popping up a protest. And I'm like, that's definitely the soapbox guy. Let's go. Okay. Wow. That, yeah. that, that was not what I was expecting. I was like, you've seen my face and I haven't seen yours. I do apologize. Um, <laughs> but uh, okay. Dope. I'm, I'm glad that's, that's a space. I mean, I think. If anything, I think, Colin, I think it might be, we actually have a photo. We, like, did, like, a slide and stuff about, like, what was it, art and activism specifically or something like that? It was, like, an event where students who had interned at nonprofits and other, like, I don't know, NGO-adjacent entities had, like, presentations. And I think someone, like, invited me to it. And I was like, yo, I didn't intern, but I run this thing. We can talk about that, me and my dude. And we did. Um, was it that or was it a class? Was it a class? class? I, I, I mean, it wasn't a class okay. and it wasn't that. It was just okay. like a presentation. I was like, okay. Okay. Sure. We've been there a couple of times. We've been there several times. So. Yeah, we've been there a few know. times. That's awesome. I, I, did not, I did not know that. I intended yeah. to not ask you in private conversations. I was just kind of wanted to show up like this very organically. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's, go. I mean, that's interesting because I, I feel like I'm, I'm hearing a lot as far as, and I'm, I often try to connect dots and may not be there. So, you know, push back. But I, I, I see academia, I see grassroots organizing, I see media, 
And I know I've interacted with all three of those of those uh, worlds. And you know, as as we know, institutions aren't aren't here to liberate us. But I, I have definitely gathered information and knowledge, practical knowledge like filmmaking and stuff, as well as like theoretical knowledge through uh, my master in sociology and stuff that has helped me in the work I do with Soapbox, right? Um, and how I show up in organizing spaces and how I can, how I think I can better think about all of these things, um, uh, even if, if they're issues or topics or events that I'm not a part of or I see from afar, I can, I kind of know how I feel about it because I can put like a framework on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and my organizing journey, I won't dig into too much so folks have heard it before, but it's like I'm kind of in, in and out within high school and then college and more so than now the past like five, six years. But I think not having always been in it, but all, but studying it in a certain way, especially through Shy DNA, talking to organizers and activists more so, um, I think it's helped me in a certain way. And so it's, it's interesting that like you first saw us, this film in activism entity in a academic space. We probably somehow critiqued academic institutions <laughs> being shitty, <laughs> but also we're there yeah. because of it, right? So like how do we hold a contention in these power dynamics but also benefiting from them at the same time? But you see the fruits of that labor, right? It's us having yeah. this conversation right now. So it's interesting as far as how all these things are super nuanced um, uh, and they can all exist at the same time. So how has your journey within academia changed this year as an example oh yeah i mean it's changed a lot well i think like i said like i've learned to be critical of literally everything so when a professor says something and if it sounds off it probably is off like just because someone is in a position of power does not mean they're correct like ever so i think it's just like you know reminded me to just stay critical about everything um but i also i think I have a very negative view of some academic spaces just because, you know, like I told you, like my first class, my professor was like, yeah, you can't be an activist and a journalist. And I was like, no. Um, <laughs> you know, but in these times, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, right, right. Um, and then, so I'd say it was, it's made me more critical, but then there also are great people in those spaces. Um, just because of the many, many negative experiences, really justifiable the, the justifiable anger that comes from students in these spaces. There are good, there are good people in it. And so I think I found such an awesome, you know, activist community also, you know, like from schools, there's a great activist mm. community within Chicago universities who they do real work. They do real work within their school. They do real work within, you know, Chicago activism as well. And I'm so very thankful to have found that community. And there's also just, there are awesome professors. Like, so I'm also an urban development major and like that, I, I do learn a lot. So it's like all of this activism that I'm reporting on and activism that I'm a part of, I'm also learning the, like the very, very large history of that in those classes. So like I said, like the first time I like learned about Chicago redlining was in an activist space. But then when I learned the deep, deep history of it, that was in a class. So I'm really thankful to have the privilege to be mm. in academia because when you pair it correctly, it just, just like fills and supports the things that you're seeing in real time. So I'm very thankful to have the privilege to be there, but also to have found the spaces that I appreciate and learn from and find support in as well. Do you know Ewan Haig? Yes, awesome. He's, he's so my boy. Cool. He's my boy. <laughs> yeah, he's one of those awesome people. He's great. No, totally. I interviewed him in 2013 for a documentary. Yeah, oh, he's so cool. Excited. He's a good dude. Uh, lovely. I have a whole shiny Nate thing I want to share, but... Everyone's heard it before. <laughs> uh, um, um, I, I, I've been thinking about 
and I wasn't thinking about it too much prior to like thinking about this conversation, but the I won't say tiers, but the different independent media organizations in Chicago. Um, obviously, we are part of SEMA, Chicago Independent Media Alliance, through Chicago Reader. Shout out, um, who I'm you, you've written for. Um, but I, I'm thinking about, yeah, just the independent media outlet. I'm, I'm thinking Tribe. I'm thinking Block of Shy. I'm thinking um, in these times, which is national, but they have a big Chicago hub, right? Mm-hmm. And so in these times, is very much like very like unapologetically left, right? But Block of Shy and Tribe and other groups um, are independent outlets, but still do a very like nuanced, awesome reporting. They're kind of sh- showing what happened, but showing it what happened in an honest, authentic way, in a way that's not showing like a black and white, right? Um, and I know you've written for several different publications. Um, shout out WTTW, Belt Magazine, um, Reader, and Block of Shy. So I'm curious what, well, what you have thought about a, interacting with these organizations, you don't have to name which ones or anything, but I'm just curious about the independent media space since you work with these orgs um, uh, to put your work out, right? And what you think about the independent media space in Chicago, particularly. Because we come from, at least I come from, I won't speak for David, from a different aspect as far as seeing what they put out and kind of uh, shouting them out and kind of seeing what they're doing, kind of seeing what's going on, but also us not being like technically journalist journalists either. Um, but kind of getting just my personal news from what's what's happening on the ground. Um, so I think we have a very unique relationship with with those folks and appreciate it. But I'm not trying to get my my shit written and published through them. If they want to publish my right, cool. But like that's not a goal of mine. So I'm curious from all we've heard from you and know of you and how you view your work and put your work out very intentionally. Um, just what the landscape looks like and feels like to you. And or if it's changed since you've been here. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, one, SEMA's awesome. Um, I will say when I first moved to Chicago to pursue journalism, I, I didn't know what it was. So it's not like I was like, I'm moving to Chicago for the independent media space. Like, I didn't even yeah. really have a full grasp of that. Now I do. And I'm like, wow, I'm in the perfect space. If I want to continue to pursue this, like, this is the space I need to be in. Um, I will say that, like, I, the way I came to independent media was very interesting. It's just like when the protests started really kicking off at the end of May, I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm trying to be useful. I just wanted to be useful. And so I was at these protests anyway, because I wanted to be at all of the protests. Right. And so I just started live tweeting them and then gained this following through tweeting. And I, whenever I talk to people, I'd be like, they'd be like, oh, thank you so much for your Twitter threads. Like, it was really good to see that. And I was like, okay, so if I'm going to, if I'm going to be useful doing this, then I'm going to keep doing this. And so I just kept doing it and kept doing it. And then I was like, ooh, yeah, um, my bank account's getting a little low. Um, I need to find a way, like what, because how I do it is I usually, my journalism, I usually don't get paid for. So then I work all the many side jobs. I'm sure everyone and their mom does that in independent media. And so I was like, this would be great if I could actually do this as like a job job where I get paid for. So then shout out to the Chicago Reader. They gave, I'm going to name them for sure. They gave me my first ever Chicago independent media byline. Um, but yeah, I will say like, I'm so thankful to be in the independent media space. And then like, I'll, I'll still be on Twitter and I'll like say something wild and I'll like go off about like white supremacy and the objective narrative and like all these people from the independent media space would like like it. And I'm like, all right, yeah. cool. So I still well, have a well, job. Tracy, well, Tracy, I see you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay. Um, so I will say it's such an incredible space. Like getting exposed to that space has just further confirmed that like 
like this ideology that like objectivity is totally incorrect and just having that space to like really continue to support you and be like no like we are coming in we are entering into a new age we are reclaiming this narrative you know independent journalists like we are the future like we are dismantling this and so i feel like being really empowered by all these many you know publications like distrust of media is real and it's justified but I feel like the independent space has given some people, and this is just from people that I've spoken to, cannot speak for every single person who distrusts media, sure. has kind of renewed a trust in media. Like I've been in spaces where mainstream media have been kicked out of and people are like, oh no, you can stay. Like, and I know multiple mm. journalists who have said that. They've been like, mainstream media, back up. Independent media, you can stay where you are. Like that's happened multiple times because the independent journalists that I work with and I, you know, who are my colleagues and we are on the ground and we are in these spaces and we are covering them right there and we're with everyone. Like if they get pepper sprayed, we're also getting pepper sprayed. Like this is happening. While tweeting, while taking a beautiful photo. (laughs) Exactly. And so I think that like just being there and being in these spaces, like, you know, like I said, we are renewing a narrative and renewing trust in media. Not saying that everything is perfect. Not saying that sure. like you know sometimes independent media isn't like isn't distrusted because it is, but I think it's just like this reclaiming this reclamation of a space, and I'm really really thankful to have found it and to be part of it, and I think this is just it's kind of all coming together and it's just contributing to the movement as we know it. That was beautiful. One, two, <laughs> and feel free to just say fuck you. But I I'm curious. Can you think of a a moment? or a time when activists or folks or whoever was centered in what was happening was like, CNN, tri- Trib, the fuck out. Oh, Grace, you can stay. Mock Club, you can stay. Like, you mentioned that like in passing. What is there a time that sticks out that was very vivid, that, that was that was apparent? You don't have to use names or anything like that, but I'm just curious. I, I wanna I wanna be I wanna be there and feel what that was like. <laughs> like I mean real talk. I mean, like, y'all I leave soapbox, you can stay. Like, yes. <laughs> I, 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 I just that scene from from what is it, half baked? Fuck you, yeah. fuck you, Grace can stay, fuck you. Are you depressing? Um yeah, so actually, um some things I've also just like found out about after. So I mean oh, I guess like okay. I've been in spaces where like people have actually been like, yo, fuck NBC. Like, where people have said that, and they be like, oh, what's up, Grace? Like, actually, like, to, like, seen that, and then turn them around and be like, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm cool then, right? Okay, Your family yeah, cool. good? Your pop's good? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <that's, laughs> like, those types of interactions. Someone, like, come and, like, give me a hug, and I'm like, oh, okay, so I'm good? And they're like, yeah, you're good. Um, but then also, I've heard, like, July 17th at the Columbus statue protest, um, I heard about after that people had literally kicked Sorry to like drag NBC in this in this podcast, but like y'all want to give us bread, like we'll take it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> um, they had actually the reporters had actually been like kicked out. Where like protesters had actually been like get out because what was happening is they were just being voyeuristic. Like people were being beaten and pepper sprayed and tear gassed, and they were just standing there filming it. And like I can go off about voyeurism and journalism, and you know, go off. This is the time <laughs> to do it. It's the perfect <laughs> That's place. The, so, like let's actually, go. no, please. <laughs> Um, and that, but like that protest was one of the most prime examples of voyeurism in journalism, which is like people with their cameras and even just like people like tourists just walking by and people were literally being like, like traumatized below them. And so many people were just like, get the fuck out. But then like all the independent journalists were literally there getting pepper sprayed too. Like it was just, we were just like in, cause we were in it. 
And so that was definitely one example. But, um, another vigil that I actually wasn't at, I was covering a separate protest, and I had um, a friend who works for Block Club tell me that they literally, the, the organizers of a vigil actually said, if you are mainstream media, back up. They verbatim said, back up. Independent media, stay where you are. Um, so I personally was not there for that. Um, sure. I'm giving a second hand. I'm a secondary source. Um, but like, that's real. And I think also, and it's just like an interpersonal interactions. Like people are like, Hey, like, how are you? Like, you know, it's like chatting up, chatting anybody up, like greeting people. Whereas like, you don't see mainstream media going in and just being like, Hey, what's up? How are you guys? Everyone's like, Oh yeah. So good to see you. Like, no, <laughs> that's not, there's a reason that's not how that goes. Um, and for the few mainstream media journalists who have built relationships, that's great. Um, but that's not really the norm. And that's like, it's not the norm because, it's not the norm, and if that has happened, and there are people who work for whatever, um, who have a relationship with folks on the ground, it's because they're doing and they're putting in that effort. It's not because the institution that they've built is like caring exactly. for that and they're centering that, right? Exactly. Uh, it's not in their mission statement, you know what I'm saying? No. Um, so I think that's important. It's like, how do we institutionalize things that are for ourselves and then include this, this framework and we lived out this framework, live and we mm-hmm. live out this framework. Right. Um, yeah. so that's, that's interesting. That's good to know. Uh, yeah, I, 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 if, if I was at the July 17th protest, of course, uh, it would really make me angry seeing folks on the Hill next to Columbus, uh, Avenue, just like, and I say folks, I mean, just like people just like walking by people who are at the protest who just like decided not to be in the fray or not to defend, uh, uh, black, brown, live movement, adjacent life, um, who were just like filming or watching the police, like converge on folks who had, who had taken the land around the statue to, to take it down. Um, see, you know, again, if I was there, and I had seen people up there filming and stuff. It was just, it would be so fucking infuriating um, to not help. <laughs> and it's like, I'm not going to help and just leave. Um, yeah, I don't know. That is a lot, it's a, it's a lot, lot lots of process, but that is interesting hearing mm-hmm. about mainstream media coming after the fact and, or during while things were happening uh, and police were being violent and not uh, feeling the, the urge to help, help their fellow folks. Uh, from from what you're saying about like being voyeuristic, you know, I think it's it's to to me it's baffling, right? Because I came into this game, you know, with this understanding as well as like, all right, well, this, these are tools that I'm going to use for for X, Y, and Z, which is the betterment of of everyone. So I I can't fathom just going into a space to be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to be here and chill and just like you know see see if I get anyone. Like to me, it, it doesn't <laughs> fit, and and so I'm very curious, and I and, and I, I I'm. Not that I want to like shit on institutions necessarily, but I want to know like how much how much institutions and the way they do their programming, whether that be through a journalism program or you know film program, like either incite that or or fight against that in any way, shape, or form. Have you had any experiences with that, like specifically within academia, about like covering things in voyeuristic lenses or things like that nature? Yeah, um, I'm very very thankful that. Um my my favorite professor and my advisor and just like a personal mentor that's exactly who she is she's like do not go in to a space and take it up that is not what you're there for do not stand and stare at people do not be a voyeur like she just has ingrained in that in the beginning and that's why like she's one of the main reasons that i'm like all right this academia thing is worth it 
to have prof- <laughs> professors like her. Shout out to Amy Merrick. She's a phenomenal woman. Shout um, out Amy. Shout out Amy. Um, right, Amy, no, what's good? Actually, like in one of my first assignments for a class back in January was writing a like a Neiman Lab inspired journals and predictions. So you had to write a prediction for 2020. And it was like, it couldn't. And so what I is wrote. That prediction? My, you know what's crazy? My prediction was. Everything's gonna was, be great. Everyone's gonna be healthy. Police are gonna be <laughs> lovely human beings and not tear gas and kill people. Yeah. It's gonna be fantastic. <laughs> I don't think that's how you talk, by the way. I just that's the voice that came in my mouth. I don't know what happened. No, but she the prediction I wrote was I believe twenty twenty year is the year that we will reject objectivity as a narrative in journalism. Never did I think that would actually kind of come true. Um, and but she the first class of the, of the year she started with like being like so tell us about your prediction and then she opened up with this whole discussion on like how objectivity is like not real. So. There are people like that who make it worth it, but then there are also professors who say, leave your activism out of your journalism. So, you know, there's there's a mix. And like I said, those those professors who aren't like that, they make it worth it and they just further support the work that you're already doing and already feel convicted to do. I'm, st- I'm still not over the whole voyeurist. Like, I mean, I also like, I don't know, like if I remember from the 17th, I, re- I like my brain re- uh, recalls like a family kind of walking like, they didn't know what the fuck. I mean, if I was there, they didn't know what the fuck was going on. No, there was so many people like that. It was a park, and it was like mid. It was like not midday, but like it wasn't late. A beautiful evening. Yeah. So like, I didn't even shame them. I just thought it was funny, just the contrast. They were just like, oh, we're just. It's a nice day walking around. Vacationing. Why are these cops so fucking angry with their mismatching blues? With their mismatching blues, y'all need to use that. One point seven six billion dollars and get some matching get fucking blues in your helmets and your and your. Don't, don't tell them that because they're gonna put it into their budget yeah, thing. It's like, oh, like, oh, like, oh, we have to put three hundred fifty thousand dollars into match our blues, new uniforms. Because Collins and what we'll so. do with the old blues is we'll give them but to the homeless you know that shelters. That would do. That would that would prove they're listening to us. Hey, yeah, so, okay. They fucked up. Well, you know we know there's the we have a Chris from the CIA who's constantly on these uh, on these Zoom recordings. So keep that in mind. Oh. Okay, that's sure. just what me, up, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> what up, Chris? Um, but I think that's a perfect segue to like, uh, you know, talk a little bit about like the role of audiences, right? So mm. we understand our roles as creators, um, as journalists. I mean, and I think uh, Colin kind of clarified that. But for for folks like so- Soapbox itself is not like a journalistic outlet per se. Um, I think we do very much, you know, factor in research, um, critical analysis. Uh, into all the works we do, a holistic framework into, you know, our film, our podcast, our editorial pieces, things of that nature. Um, but I think that offers, uh, um, I think that offers a little bit different to when you're specifically talking about journalism, right? But within both fields, right? So like the role of the audience is how much do you take into account who you're writing for um, when, when, or when you're reporting um, or putting things together? I would say I take it into account, like, a lot and i don't think people take it into account enough um okay i think engagement is extremely underrated which is crazy right like you'd think that audience engagement would be like higher up on people's like to-do lists or like priority but i've seen like firsthand that it's often not so i would say i actually take it a lot into account because at the end of the day like who you're writing for matters and so if you are, you know, like I see people like popping off on Twitter sometimes and I'm like, who, wait, who are you writing for? You know, and that's like a very small scale. It's one social media platform. But I think that, you know, who you're writing for, it does matter. And I think it changes the way you write and the way you approach certain things. 
Um, and I think we always need to be thinking about that. Like, for instance, when I have activists come to me up in a space or like community organizers be like, hi, I saw your post here or I read your article. Thank you so much. That is the best compliment I could ever, ever get. Because that means that I'm actually reflecting the voices that I'm writing about correctly. And it's like reaching the people that I want to reach. So that is probably the best thing I could ever, you know, I've been very thankful that like my journalism is then effective because what we're doing here is, you know, it is solution-based journalism. It is, you know, movement media. Mm. We're not just like throwing words on a page or on a, like, or on a Twitter thread and like being like, oh, well, there you go. Like, no, we, you know, I'm going into this space very intentionally. So I'd say thinking about our audience has to be one of our main priorities, you know, like you can't just throw something out there and hope that it lands. You have to be intentional with what you're putting out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I guess I'm just a little more curious, and I'll let Colin kind of get in. But like, so I went for creative writing specifically, and it was there was oftentimes a mention of like, don't think about your audience, don't think about your audience, like just write, and then it'll your piece itself will will kind of give breath. But understanding that like once once it's out in the world, you have no control over it, right? So I was always conflicted, but I never really yeah. thought about. It. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm writing, you know, love poetry. Fuck my audience. It's just it's me and <laughs> the person I'm in love with in this poem. But you know, it's it's just so it's interesting to hear, you know. Um, how people can take into account their audience or not. I mean, and I think a, a very important contributing factor is like, in what way, right? And like, is this through a uh, online uh, publication? Is this through physical newspaper? Is this uh, through uh, a movie? Is this through a song type thing? And so understanding that the medium then to me kind of plays a little more into like your audience, right? And understanding yeah. that. But then yeah. you as a journalist, you know, ha having people read your work, whether that be online or elsewhere or through social media, I think, you know, there's, there's strength in that. Colin, you had something for us. It, it was not important. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was, I mean, that's right. important too, but so, so two things, one, not important, yeah. but I, I was going to ask Grace, like, <laughs> so whenever like, Hey, I read your blog, fuck your couch. And I walk away. <laughs> um, have uh, they? <laughs> um, I will say the people who have given me, negative feedback have usually been like white Ooh, supremacists let's talk so. about trolls trolls I mean, yes. okay. oh as, no, as much or as little as you want to share i don't want to agree let's get into it let's get into it it's damaging but traumatize anyone uh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah i know david talks to like people he knows and like not trolls but people he he knows on facebook and stuff and kind of gets into it which i'm you know you're a saint for that i've had like two trolls in my life and it's kind of fun whatever to get into it a little bit but that's it uh I've seen and I feel like there are more trolls in your world. And I'm just curious about that experience with said trolls. And how, how would you define a troll? Oh, ooh, I would have to <laughs> think about that for a second. I'd say a troll is just anyone who's trying to damage your image and your credibility. Um, or sometimes not even that. They just have negative things to say and they're just going to throw them at you. Like, you know, sometimes I think it's varying. But sometimes the trolls that I deal with are very intentional. Um, today I had the crate. This is probably the most intentional troll I've ever had. Can I tell a quick story? To be oh my, can yeah, I do that? Please. And, and I do have one question for clarifying for context. Like when you get these trolls, where do you, what do you usually engage are them? They DMing, like, is there like a specific like platform? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Are they texting you? Are they showing up at your house? Like, oh, you know, thank just, God. No one's just, just for context, house. just for context. Um, so mostly my trolls are either in my DMS or if it's on Twitter in the thread. So okay. they'll be commenting back and forth. Um, but sometimes it's very like, straight to my DMs. Sometimes it's just like putting it out there. Although today, so I am a freelance, I'm a weekend freelance contributor with WTTW, who's not a part of SEMA. They're a part of the PB, PBS, you know, public media conglomerate. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, they allow me to write great stories that I really like. Like I said, I like to have my name on, like they're very community centered. However, they are not fully for like the advocacy lens. Mm. So I will be going off on Twitter and like my editors see what I tweet. Like it's not a secret, but um, I, you know, I tweeted at this thing. I mean, you know, I constantly talking about objectivity and neutrality are two and journalism are tools of white supremacy. Like I say that very openly. Today I had someone quote tweet it. So they retweeted it and then tagged WTTW's Twitter account and say, you employ a freelance journalist who is saying that objectivity and neutrality are ideal or white supremacist ideologies. How can you trust her? And I was like, fuck. Ooh, I wish it for wood. I wish I was it like, for wood. And like, it's, it's, we're going to be fine. Um, it'll be fine. Um, but like, that was very intentional. So that I was kind of like, ooh, block <laughs> report. <laughs> <laughs> block. Okay. No, do not engage. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not doing this. But, but the, like, so it kind of depends. I know job. some people who make a part-time job out of re- responding to their trolls. I don't really do that. I'm like, I don't really feel like doing this. Um, I also have like friends and colleagues who will sometimes reply to them for me. And like, they have fun in the comments. I'm like, go off, dude, talk your shit. Um, but then sometimes if they are, if someone is specifically responding to like an activist that I'm reporting on and they say something, you know, racist or whatever, homophobic, or they say something specifically that harms their identity, that's when I'll go in a little bit more. Mm. So I'm like, if you're going to come in, like what I, when I've said this multiple times, like my Twitter is not your stopping ground to insult activists and they're not or tear down the movement like that is not what my twitter is for like do not come here and say shit about the activists that i'm reporting on like absolutely not so that's when i'll like get a little bit more into it like and report i report tweets like it's a part-time job i do do that (laughs) (laughs) blocking reporting blocking i do a lot of reporting and blocking i will say i do a lot of that and i mean not that we got to get into it but like so like my and i wouldn't even call it trolling right but as an example, there was, uh, um, so Ariel, a uh, former organizer with uh, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. um, when she had that um, kind of press release piece come out where she was uh, not condoning uh, the the actions that were, had been taking place during the summer, I had folks who be like, oh, yeah, like I think actually one of my guys literally tagged me. He's like, oh, they need David to David Moran to come in here and talk about woo woo because this person doesn't know what they're talking about yada 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 right so these are my homies right and like I, I i hear the positivity that they were trying to do like oh david feels like you know he talks about the shit but then i like i went in and was like yo actually so ariel's actually on our podcast here's this episode <laughs> uh so like that's the, that's the nature of like when i'm engaging folks but i'm curious what your experiences are with getting people who are trolling you or whatever from from people like that you like know whether that be back in Philly or community people who you've kind of met in in in, in Chicago, uh, versus like kind of just seeing a a face and a picture on a screen type shit. They never have pictures. Mm-hmm. It's always like some cartoon or some like, like other some shit. Bot. <laughs> so vulnerable, like Pepe so the, Pepe the frog. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like okay, you I mean, it's come a maga hat in their picture. Yeah, it's, it's like, like show right. your face, motherfucker. What's wrong with y'all? They're come so here. fucking fragile. I'm sorry. I've got like two. I'm like they're <laughs> all fragile, <laughs> man. They think we're fragile. They think we're snowflakes. It's like show your face. Yeah, I would say I take all criticism into account. Like, I do. Like, I grow the most when I'm given criticism. Like, that, and I say that very honestly. So especially especially if it's someone I know or it's someone in the space that I'm in um, or a space that I'm reporting on, I, I take it very seriously. 
especially when it comes down to like, especially if it's something criticizing like the way I phrase something, the way that I framed something. That is criticism that I'm always going to take into account. So I would say the trolls who just like come at people relentlessly, like I don't give a fuck about you. But when it's people that I know and people, or maybe people who may not know super well, but I know of them, we know that like what community they're a part of, mm. I always take that criticism into account. I will never really understand how people, specifically people who do this kind of work, don't take criticism. I'm never going to understand that because I grow the most when people, you know, give me feedback, when they give me constructive criticism or they say, I'm silly, or like, just like any kind of feedback, whether it's good, positive, like that is how I grow and that's how I shape this and how that's how I become the most effective with this work. So I will say when it's not just like the faceless trolls, I really do take the criticism seriously. Awesome. That's, that's great to hear. And I think it's like, I, I, we, we, we hope to do the same, but it's like, I very much know like, oh, this is, you know, my boy from, you know, wherever. And he means well, but like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here for an hour to educate my man. I'm gonna like give him literature and stuff and hope he reads it. Um, but yeah. I, th I think it's great as like an independent journalist uh, to, to have that. Right. And I think that that only empowers you. And I'm, I'm, I'm only, I'm only so excited to see, you know, where where life takes you within the next year as a perfect example right and then you know three five years who knows where it's at the 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 possibilities are endless especially when you allow yourself to be um in in such a positive um and open frame right mm -hmm. david's um, out here giving graduation speeches yes the world is your oyster <laughs> <laughs> so you you mentioned oftentimes you know like in kenosha as an example you were there uh grabbing stories um from folk how like and and i know you mentioned like so what you try to do is you you know you're open you're transparent you just kind of talk to folks um but as you've kind of been doing it over the years um what things to you have either stuck out in your process and or you've had to make kind of changes in order to really understand um how to accurately represent people mm -hmm. um yeah we'll start there Hmm. Okay. That's, oh, I had to think about that a little bit. Um, I would say, I guess uh, transparency is big, you know, don't say, all right, I'm going to represent you this way and then flip the switch and, you know, change the narrative. Like that's inappropriate. That's, that's how you, that's, that builds distrust. That is exactly what that feeds into. Yeah. Um, so I'd say just like transparency is a big thing. But when I say this often, this is a hill that I will die on. You know, journalism is a public service. Mm. And when we, endanger and disrespect the communities that we report on we are not helping or even just accurately reporting we're harming and you know you can agree with me and say that journalism is a public service or you cannot you can be you know more in favor of the news lens or the activism or the advocacy lens it doesn't matter but at the end of the day journalism is not meant to harm like that is not like please like i would love like argue with me fight me i don't care journalism journalism is not meant to harm so when we're going into these spaces and you know, if we if we if we do make a mistake and and someone is hurt by it, then when the best thing we can do is just you know come back and acknowledge that and work towards that and you know work you know to learn from that every single time. But I'd say just like recognizing that you know, like I said, if you can be for advocacy or not, I don't care. But journalism is not meant to harm. So that's when we speak to people. We're not you know, I've I've reported on some very traumatic situations, and I think like I said, just going into that being you know very reserved and you know critical in your approach, like. We don't want to make people more traumatized with the trauma they're already experiencing in their day-to-day -day lives. Right. So I guess just like being transparent, but also just being, you know, like you cannot, you don't make something worse. 
you know, and then we've seen that done happen so many times this summer where journalism has just made something worse. Like we are not meant to harm no matter what your mindset is. I'm curious about everyone in the conversation, uh, Grace and David, about early on the uprisings, uh, shortly after George Floyd was killed, and I think folks in movement spaces, I guess I just speak for myself, realize that, oh, this like this is a thing now. Like this this one matters. And we see this eruption uh globally, again against police violence and white supremacy, um not knowing that it was gonna blow up like it did. And again, speaking from my own experience only, like when I heard about it happening, I was like, man, that's fucking like I think we've gotten desensitized to it, right? To an ex- to an extent, if you're not super super close to it. Um maybe in movement space and fighting against this for, for, you know, some years now, I'd be like, oh man, that's like, this is horrible. Uh, but yeah, that's, that, that checks out. That sounds about white. Like that, that was my reaction initially. Right. Um, and then that week I was like, oh, people are out here hard. Um, and understand this was, this is, this is new. This is different. Um, I'm trying to figure out how it happened too. And like, why that's the case. And I have a whole like thought, th- I have thoughts on that. Um, but when, when you all, kind of first realize oh people this is the thing like again not as nationally not as regionally but globally we're seeing uprisings across the 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 entire world um against their own unique and similar at the same time uh iterations of of this how'd you feel first of all but also how did you see it being reported both in in a good way uh, in ways that were centering folks on the ground that were maybe even using the folks away from it, but either seasoned organizers, seasoned activists, Andrew Davis, for, for example, or just, or even academic folks giving theory to them say, Hey, like this is, this is what I'm seeing connected. Coronavirus, Trump 2016, quarantine, uh, the snowball of folks understanding folks unpoliticized, non-black folks understanding how this is such an endemic thing to policing, to white supremacy globally. Um, crescendoing at this point um i'm just curious what what you thought about the moment but also the coverage of the moment from all aspects and how you mm. digested that um or didn't digest it maybe that was intentional maybe you stayed away from the news i fucking watched everything so i had to see how cnn was talking about it and also in these times and also text people i knew and see what's good how they were feeling and check in with folks so i'm just curious what that what that those first two weeks in june especially were, mm. were like for you um personally professionally, um, and everything in between. Yeah, yeah, ooh. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so, but I'm going to so start out by saying that, like, you fuck know... 12. Just, yeah, fuck 12. <laughs> 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, fuck 12. Okay. Um, uh, but I think the biggest thing that I, like, now for this, you know, movements, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, movements do not die. However, the media does a really good job of making it appear that they die. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just in those first two weeks, I would just be up out the entire day reporting, like the entire day. And then, you know, I had a reporter say to me, like an independent reporter, and they're like, listen, this is different than anything I've seen. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And if you're going to keep doing this, you have to like, you got to, you got to figure out how to do it because you can't be out here reporting from 8am to 2am and expect to do a good job every time. And I was like, all right, that's true. So I think just like seeing it in that way, like this is truly 
not a moment. This is a movement. So we need to treat it as such and make sure that we are equipped and ready to do this for months, weeks, months, years, however long, you know, we're going to be a part of this. Um, or however this song is, however that's going to like this tenure will be. But I think that that was kind of a big part of the coverage is the coverage minimized it. A lot of the coverage I saw minimized how big of a deal this was. And I very early on, a couple weeks in, I would have people reach out to me and they're like, thank you so much for reporting. If it wasn't for your coverage, we thought that like things would have died out in Chicago by now. Many people said that to me. And I think that that's the biggest coverage and that's one of my biggest criticisms of media in general is that they do, a lot of media does a really good job of you know trying to kill movements or creating the appearance that they're dying out. And in, like in turn, like and as a response to that, I as a journalist am working really hard and trying to figure out ways to you know use my platform and use my position in media, but as well as an activist, to sustain this movement, but also sustain you know the public appearance of this movement, or not even like appearance, but just making sure people know that like people are still out here. They're gonna continue to be out here. Like people are like, oh, people will stop in the winter. I'm like, no, they fucking won't. Do you remember CTU marching in the snow last year? Like. No one's stopping. It might, like, you know, there may not be, like, a multiple protest every single day like there were at the beginning, but, like, sure. this is not dying. Not, no part of this is dying. So, for me, you know, seeing media isolate these instances, like, oh, and now we're at this person. Like, no, this is a part of something. This is a part of something so much bigger. And, you know, people was, like, you know, using this rhetoric of when things go back to normal. Nothing will ever be the same, and that is for a reason. We have reached like this massive, massive historical movement and media has repeatedly tried to minimize that. So seeing that and saying like, okay, this is probably the most important time for me to be a part of this industry because mm. we need to use, you know, use media to sustain this, but also, you know, make sure people understand the gravity of this mo moment and this movement in history. Yeah, it's wild. And as for me, like I, I very much... I, as I always do, I, I try not to digest or engage in anything like that first weekend. I wasn't able to participate. And so what I, what does get like across me um, is just like things that are, you know, my family pulls up or a buddy of mine sends to me. And so those are the type of things that I like engage with. And it, what what saddened me was the lack of effort that I saw from my community um, in, in in trying to truly see um what was going on and so oftentimes i would have someone send me some like dumbass youtube video talking about you know blm isn't a real movement or whatever and i'd be like all right like did you like is this your only source is like youtube person it's like yeah well better than like this one tweet that you sent out and i was like well that tweet that person is a is a lawyer and actually works with the unions in new york um and so i think i'll hold her word on the law Probably a little bit more than this YouTube person. And so that's really like some of the things that I started seeing in which our community sometimes how far they are, they're willing to put in work when diving into media. Right. Um, and through what factor. Right. Because like through YouTube, it's like this YouTuber was fucking talking about it. And he's like, I like I like skim through some of his shit. And he's very much like a blue lives matter type motherfucker. And he's like a black dude. So. You know, uh, the issue will be like, oh, but he's black and, you know, like, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but, you know, that doesn't really mean anything. Just, you know, he could, he could still, you know, what's the term we're using? Uncle Tom? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that in my head. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Uncle, Uncle Tom ass motherfucker. And so, <laughs> and so to me, it was incredibly disheartening at first, right? Not being able to participate, not even being able to 
um, I mean, I, I we, we all engage and we find our role, right? And I think mm. that's that's truly the important part of it. But kind of seeing a lack of from audiences and from community members mm. of truly trying to figure out what the fuck happened. And then also on the other hand, right, having folks reach out to me. He's like, yo, what the fuck's going on? Are you okay? Like, I've been hearing mm. all this shit's going off in Chicago. And I'm like, yeah, I'm actually not even there. Don't even worry about it. Um, and then kind of coming back into the fold really with this energy of like, all right, let's, what's really going down? Like, who can we talk to that we understand has uh, placement and, and, and power within these, these movements? Um, and how can we amplify those voices? Mm-hmm. Right. And so some of the projects that we did during the summer, free them all, um, you know, uh, and just d- different small things. And I, I really do think that COVID um, has, has just, just, transformed not really transformed but like really exemplified is that the word i'm using for looking for comment? uh keep talking i'll tell you if it's right or not this is fair <laughs> i you know english isn't my first language but regardless i do think that like you know uh, covid um help highlight a lot of these like large format mm-hmm. issues and I, and I think if anything it's allowed for people like my community to have more time to be able to d- dive into shit right and have more time because, you know, some of them, you know, there's 25 million or 30 million Americans who aren't working, right? So these motherfuckers are probably not doing shit but on their phone. You know, it's not a bad thing. So it's in our fault, our job to be able to provide them with the proper, you know, either information and or some of the things that we like to do is resources, right? It's mm-hmm. like, we don't know all of the issues that are going down. We don't know every answer to all of your questions. But here's all, here are all these people who've been doing work for decades who can probably help you out yeah. more so than, than we can. And I think that's a very important thing uh, that Soapbox has been able to do in curating, you know, it's organizing family and, and networks within uh, Chicago. But those are those are some of the, some of the things that I saw. Um, and then on the other end, you know, started seeing more people out in the streets, you know, more people with, with cameras, more people reaching out to us. So being like, Hey, I've been doing this media stuff. Like I saw, I see your work. Like, how can I, how can I join? How can I participate? You know? Cause like, like there is on one side, there is people who are hungry to use their tills, their skills and their talents uh, for the betterment of, of, of all. And I think that's, that's really where we find power within us. Right. We, all of us here in this group understand the issues and understand how, what we're doing can help better the world. And that's our goal, right? And that, that's what we'll take it. Um, so, yeah. But what, what about you, Colin? I know I know you said you watched all CNN things. Is that it? You're just like, yeah. I need to see what's going on at all I, times. Like, Can you unpack my, that so, a people, bit? People, people, people so will be stressing. like, oh, what's your, guilty, <laughs> what's your guilty pleasure TV show? And I'm like, CNN. CNN. Like, <laughs> like, like corporate news. I don't know. Because I just... I, so do you watch, do you watch Van or Rachel, who do you watch mostly? Rachel Maddow. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't watched Van in a while. Actually. I mean, I, I, I don't... Let's let's be very clear. I don't like record, you know, certain people and like come on and watch it. It's like when I'm eating, when I'm like, when I happen to have time to watch TV or can watch TV while I'm doing something else, uh, I'll like flip it on. Especially just during the day, too. Nothing's really on anyway. I'll just flip it on and kind of see what's good. Um, It's, 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 it's it's my only source of news. Let's let's listen that way. But it's like the big stories that are happening. It's like, the conversations that I'm willing to have as far as digging into things are folks who are like center left who are like, yeah, like vote blue or whatever like that. And like getting them to more radical spaces. They're the most right. I want to talk to They're watching the scene and the MSNBC type things. Right. And so it's like, uh, it's nice to know what folks are seeing, digesting, understanding 
as like this is the news that is like you know the good news and this is the news that's that's comprehensive right um so like cool this is what you're seeing and also for me it's like what are the big stories that are are, are, are most people's timelines and stuff right um if i can coalesce that with what's happening on the ground for people i know in the state of chicago and then also you know in these times and other kind of outlets that are national and bigger but have a like a, a left and a comprehensive liberatory analysis i kind of thread all those lines together so helps you get a kind of robust analysis it, it's like my version of people like you know following like new age conservative dude Oh, you mean Ben Shapiro? Yes, thank you. Oh, I remember, like, oh, you know, God, white dude. I, like, okay, this is and disgusting. Yeah, so it's like people, people uh, like moving base or just really left or whatever, like follow him or like watch certain things like that for like op research and kind of like to know what they, what the other side is thinking. I ain't got time for all that. Like, I, I guess just no. But like the folks who are the center left, like Hillary supporters, like those are the folks. I'm like, okay, I'm willing to like get you over here like yeah i'm you know and so watching that scene in embassy kind of helped me do that but also I'm just curious about the, the bigger stories that are happening um and just like okay what are the narratives i'm gonna have to talk against essentially right um and as the zeitgeist changes and as abolition is more in vogue how are they wrestling with this and when they do a good job and bring on folks who are going to dig in their heels and really like talk about the shit um, the certain, oh, not only outlets, but people who do, um, how are they engaged in this conversation? Because for the for the most part, they're I'm talking about like MSNBC and CNN specifically, they're gonna engage in a way that is is respecting folks' humanity at least, and at least have them talk a full amount, right? Um, like which I don't think like Fox News really does at all, even have these folks on in the first place. So I'm so I'm curious now <laughs> as far as how they're really engaging with folks who are who know their shit, right, uh, across the board. So as the zeitgeist changes, as people's public perception changes, um, very rapidly, like we saw in the first couple weeks of June, it's interesting seeing these corporate news outlets really kind of change up or get kind of uh, get pushed back very comprehensively on their own on their own uh, outlets. I saw. Charlemagne the God on MSNBC talking to some uh, news anchor after Biden was like, "If you're not, if you don't, you vote for Trump and not me, you're not black." And the anchor was like, "Well, well, like, yeah, it was messed up, but like, but but you went for Trump though." And Charlemagne the God, who I'm like not a huge fan of either. I mean, I mean, <laughs> First of all, like, he's like, <laughs> "Look, like, this is not about Trump. It's about what is Biden going to do for black folks, especially with his past, like." We need something from him. What he's going to do positively for black folks. Like, we're talking about him. And she's like, well, well, but, but Trump, though. He's like, girl, I'm not talking about Trump. Like, this isn't about Trump. <laughs> about what is he going to do for people? Like, especially black people, especially with the history he has. And, she, and her, her only pushback was like, well, but Trump's the alternative. He's like, girl, what are you doing? Um, so things like that, right? And, like, a lot of people are seeing that. That's not, that's not on my Twitter feed. That's not on, you know, a lefty news publication that... Needs need support from a nonprofit model. Um, that's on like the, the most corporate global news <laughs> agency, right? Um, so it's interesting seeing in this broader conversation of how the media landscape looks, both independent, both in Chicago, but also globally, and what folks are seeing across the board. Um, I, I I do think it's important to an extent. Don't watch as much as I do by any means, but I think it is important to kind of get an idea of what lots of folks are seeing and like i think we, you know we critique that a lot so it's important to know like what we're actually critiquing to in a certain extent um 
Yeah, so that's that. That's my go-to budget TV. That's like why I, I engage. And again, I'm not like DVRing this shit. I'm just like it's on. I'll see see what's good. Um, and it's been interesting. In some point in June, uh, Trevor Noah had on a bunch of different folks, some academics, some activists, some like, uh, what is it, eight can't wait folks, some like abolitionist folks. It was like an eight person conversation with him included. Um, and I watched the Daily Show, I kind of have for a long time, both with Jon Stewart and Trevor Noah. Um, and, you know, I have plenty of critiques with, with, with Trevor Noah and the Daily Show. But I generally enjoy just kind of watching and seeing what's happening and seeing a little bit more so in in my politics. Not not completely by any means, but a little bit more so than like normal news. Uh, but it was very interesting watching Trevor Noah on that show. And whereas prior, like generally you kind of know how he feels about a certain subject or whatever. Or he may disagree, but he'll kind of center the person he's interviewing. But in that, you know, eight person or how many people conversation about uh, police reform slash defunding slash abolition uh, with lots of different folks who have written books or who are in movement spaces, who are activists, who are whatever. And he, you, you could tell he was really kind of like, like, help me understand. Like, I want to be on board, but like, help me understand how abolition works in all this. And talking to folks who like have been doing this work for a long time. Um, so that was a really cool moment for me, for someone who identifies as an abolitionist, identifies as someone who's been doing this work for years now in very different capacities and I was also a person who consumes media and lots of different types of media um and has a role like this on this podcast who is talking like even right now like speaking my own feelings and experiences but also um asking you grace about your experiences and like pseudo interviewing you as well and kind of having a role not by any means like the daily show but you know I've been in that seat before in a certain way right so it's like what does that look like and so um, it was that was like that stuck out to me for something as far as consuming media in June as far as how outlets are dissecting these issues in really real ways even outlets that we may see as I don't know not in the work but like but more in the work than like traditional corporate news and seeing how they're digesting stuff especially someone who's not from here looking at Trevor Noah um, but obviously going from a country with a very violent racial history um so as far as media uh, digesting, that sticks out to me for for June post post George Floyd. That is real, mm-hmm. and I mean, and and here we are, right? So we are recording early September, um, and the the, the it, it it's interesting, right? Because Grace, as you mentioned, like the the movements don't die, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but certain things have taken and, and, and certain cities, specifically here in Chicago, a lot of the attention moved towards, you know, still, um, you know, abolition, but through the defund CPD program and through one of that uh, cops out of CPS. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so I think we we saw yet again that the appointed uh, educational board by Lori Lightfoot voted no, um, but we still started seeing. You know, there's still action taking place in Chicago. Um, you know, I think what the cops out of CPS was able to do is um, give an opportunity to highlight young folks specifically. Um, and, and we'll see that right through 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 the fall um, with uh, CPS having gone fully remote and learning and yet still having a 13 million dollar budget for cops and schools. Which I, do we makes know what no they sense. do? Like, do we actually know like what the money goes they, to? Like, are they on they Zoom calls just like, in the bathroom. Like, 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 like what are they, what are they, what are they actually doing? What is it actually doing? They're 
probably like in the chats, like going through their messages, yeah. making sure there's no fuck twelves or I mean, I don't know. <laughs> They're like the but, the CPS version of the CPD social media team. Like that's what that was going to. <laughs> Yeah, oh, like, so I'm, I'm like genuinely curious. Like I just, don't, I haven't, I haven't done any research to figure out this answer. Yeah. But I just wanted someone to tell me what the money is going to. Like what, what are they doing? Well, everyone I've spoken with, like people who like work in this, like the education activist space, they've said, well, like essentially, like nothing. It's like just kind of sitting there. So that's like kind of what my understanding of it is. Is like they're saying we are allocating this much money to go to cops and CPS. But if our entire year ends up virtual they'll like have this money. So I don't know if like anything's actually being done with it right now. Again, I'm not an expert, but I feel People like can't eat. Like, I don't, like this is just, it's wild. It's wild. It's wild. <laughs> I mean, I'm not laughing at that comment. I'm laughing at it's my own joy. It's wild. Like, why are we, I mean, it's, I think why are we not all like upset? We all are, you know, we're all doing things. But it's just like, I, again, I have not done research on this, but I trust, I trust you, Grace. Like, I just, so it's just sitting there, uh, just yeah, like just I, in case they come back and they need to be in the school. Like that's I, my understanding of it. But maybe like one of your next podcasts, you should tackle that one specific issue for one hour in thirty minutes. Like, where the fuck is that money going to? <laughs> I think we'll. I think they'll throw us into a um, into a, a, a rabbit hole because then it's like, well, where does all the fucking money that we pump into the city go into, right? But alas, that uh, that was all to like kind of talk about like where we feel. Um, independent media, uh, how we feel it's going to be playing out um, as the year continues, right? Oftentimes, as we mentioned, you know, this year is a, an election year. Um, and we we know, right, how the media likes to play with elections, with the 2016 literally being like a fucking game show. Um, you know, uh, Grace, this is more for you. Where do you think or where do you see your role falling more as the year continues, right? And that could be doing the same thing you're doing, uh, but like, you know, your mm. goals, your, your dreams, uh, but then also maybe some of some, some reality type situations for yourself. Yeah. I mean, we are heading into an election season, you know, uh, amidst it all, we are still in the middle of a fucking election. So I think for me, you know, a lot of, a big question that's often posed in media has been, is it our responsibility to like get people to vote? Absolutely not. No, specifically, like, for me, I look at this election season and a lot of people are saying, you know, voter repre- like suppression has not stopped. Like, this, this is, that is a very real thing. And I think a lot of people, along with, like, having to grapple with, like, voter suppression are also, like, saying that when it comes down to national politics, they are not at all represented. They don't see themselves represented racially, you know, gender-wise or ideologically. So at the end of the day, there are a lot of people who are like, I don't want to vote. And I know some journalists who are like, well, they have to vote. Like, come on, we have to get everyone civically engaged. And it's like, well, no, that's not necessarily true. What we need to do, you know, in this gatekeeper role and like how I see myself, you know, being useful is making sure that people have the tools to make the decision for themselves. So, you know, we're going into an election season. We have we saw a year where our president dealt with a pandemic disastrously. You know, we see like we have a a mayor who refuses to defund the police. Like obviously, like that's not our like we are not in a in a citywide election right now for when it comes down to mayoral. But you know, making you know, equipping people with the information and the truth so that they can make their decisions. And so it's like, you know, going into this, I want to make sure that people. Like I said, engagement matters. Making sure people know how to vote and where to vote and how to get registered if they choose to. And also know, like, what's at stake here? Like, I know 
Chicago Votes does a great job of like mm, being like, hey, judges, out. judges matter. Like, let's talk about our judges. Like, yeah, you don't see yourself represented, you know, in the running in the runnings for president. Like, you don't see yourself represented by Trump or by Biden. Like, yeah, that's real. That's really real. But let's talk about where your vote really, really, really matters. So let's talk about, you know, judges. Let's talk about these super local. Let's talk about our aldermanic elections. You know, like understanding like the power dynamics and who really has that power and then how we can take that for ourselves. Like when I see my, you know, the intersection of my journalist identity and my activist identity and also coming up, going into this really big election, like how can we just equip people with the tools to make sure that like they understand how they can take the power for themselves? So we're heading into a massive budget season, and that's a lot of the work that I'm going to be doing this fall is just talking about the budget. How can, you know, the community take power over where our money goes to? And, you know, how can we do that through just through voting as well or just or through activism and through organizing? Like, how can we really take our power and make sure that community voices are taken into account and heard in this process? Show up at your older person's crib. Yell at them. If I'm a CTA, be like, yo, you voted in this budget, though. It's trash. You better say no. You'll be out in 2023. Fuck out of here. That's exactly what you'd actually be doing. Dwayne Trust is out here on a Zoom call saying, come to my house. He really thought they wouldn't go to his house. I am, like, actually laughing out loud. Like, I was at that protest where they marched up and be like, what the fuck is up, Dwayne? And he's like, oh, you actually came to my house. It's like. Yeah, that's exactly what they're going to do. That is exactly what you're going to do. You're not answering calls. You're not recognizing, you know, their voices. They, they will show up to your door. That is exactly what is going on, and that's exactly what they're going to continue to do. This is real, and they're out here. Shout out Destiny Harris, who put together that action. Shout out, oh my God, I love Destiny Harris. Yeah. Love that woman. No, and, and I, think, I think, you know, everyone is taking into account um, what what we're seeing, right? And I think one of the things that I also recognized was like, you know, if Trump wins again, realistically, at least for the Supreme Court, mm. like two of two or three of those may not be kicking for the next four years, right? And so um, there's so many larger scopes at play that oftentimes we either are not informed about or or we feel that it does not matter to us, right? Or it feels like it does the implications only you know, are only for X, Y, and Z, and we're A and B, so we feel we're fine. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I also think it was interesting the way you are talking about, you know, like wanting to put truth out. It's like I have low-key been on Trump's mailing list or email, like, blasting, and he the, the their administration is sending out four or five emails a day, Oof. some from, like, Lara Trump, some from wow. Eric Trump, and, like, they are, like, the most recent one, I think I put it on my Instagram, and it's, like, literally, like, the radical left hates you. Nancy Pelosi thinks you're a domestic terrorist. Like, this is language in their newsletter, right? And I think, you know, to Colin's point, kind of where he feels like he can only gravitate towards the center left and, and that way, you know, what are what are some of the things that you as an independent media person has kind of is kind of doing and or have you seen with colleagues and such when looking at really trying to not just speak to one specific demographic, but really trying to encompass, you know, some of those Trump supporters, right? Or some of those people who are on the conservative side of things who may not who may who may not even agree with Trump, right? Necessarily. He does have a 32% approval rating, um, according to most polls. But kind of like what where have you seen um some of your either your personal work or, you know, work around you kind of speak to that? Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I'd say so often like we underestimate the power of like 
localizing, you know, our, our, our messaging. So I found, you know, and again, to bring it back to, I don't, you know, electoral politics, like I found so often it was very interesting in like my reporting, but also just like personal work that like, like center almost to the right people who like agreed with some of like Bernie Sanders policies. And that's a very electoral lens, but agreeing and actually advocating for these further to the left policies, because like, for instance, like, you know, Medicare for all, that is like one of the biggest issues on the table here. Like we have just an atrocious Medicare system in the U.S. And so there are these people who are like, I mean, I am not a socialist. I do not agree with these leftist platforms. They're like, but yeah, my I'm paying too many taxes to have this insane medical bill. Like, you know, it's very just like removing these kind of like electoral lenses even sometimes and just bringing things and mm. like, you know, pulling the humanity out of the issues. And I did this when I worked in electoral circuits as well. It's like, what is something, like removing all of the names and the faces aside what are the five issues? That's what I ask people. What are the five issues that matter most to you? What makes you, when you wake up, what are you pissed off about? When you wake up, yeah, <laughs> I love really, it. Like, that'd be it. Like, when I say this to like this like 73 year old white lady, like opening her door, I'd be like, what are the five issues that piss you off in the morning? And like that actually like, gets a response out of people. Like, what are the things that, you know, light the fire inside of you? What are the mm. things that are like, this has to be changed? Like, what are the things that's like, in order for me to live, in order for, you know, the generations that come after me, what do we have to change? And, you know, I think that's like the biggest thing that I see, like with my reporting and my own work, that's like removing all of like, you know, the status quo, removing like the, the names and the faces. What are the, what are the reasons that like, you're out here doing this work? Or what are the things, like I said, what are the five things that piss you off? So I think when we like boil things down and really bring those issues to home, I think it kind of creates a space where we can all communicate, even if we are completely different people, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And that's kind of where I, I, like, I hope, and I know that, you know, the work that we're doing really finds its home, right? Because while we are bringing about uh, this, you know, anti-oppressive liberatory framework to all of our work, speaking specifically with soapbox content, um, you know, the goal is that, you know, the visuals kind of draw you in and then maybe you start listening to the story and something attaches you to it. And then by the end, you're like, oh, this is a call to action. Fuck, this is what I'm doing, regardless of my politics. Right. So, so you know, I think it's, it's it's wonderful the way you explained it. It was like once you remove the political lenses, you know, this left, uh, right, I'm a Democrat, you're a Republican type shit um, and boil down to the nitty gritty, which which is the goal. Right. And I think that's that's, that's what good media can do for you mm-hmm. um, to then sway not only yourself but those around you because then you're like yo look at this dope ass thing i read from someone named grace in chicago why we should abolish the police and like well what i didn't think about that and boom you know that's 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 where it goes you know it's like oh look at this dope ass dope shit the free them off from soapbox was out here for uh, california 26 what do you mean there's a prison on california 26 yeah can you believe it's in the city (laughs) kind of shit like that you know the way the way we are as people and the way we speak uh, with our community members, but you know, um, I feel like we can continue talking forever, which is great because like it's always 3. Also 0, let's go to be three But it's also cool, like always be able to like to have someone who kind of very similar to the work that we do. Right? I don't, I don't really think we've had anyone like yourself on Bourbon Brown. So I also want to thank you for participating and taking the time to hang out with us and and speak your truth, right? Um, you're incredibly transparent, so clearly you're good at what you do. So, um, no, but I, I, I do think that, you know, we should also take moments, as you mentioned, right, to 
to to not burn ourselves out, right? As mm-hmm. they did mention, this this is not a sprint. This is this this has been going, you know, and maybe we got into the race, you know, a little bit later. Um, but the fact that we're in it and we're understanding, you know, how you know that the, that the destination is, it's gonna be worth to get there. Um, but willing willing and 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 wanting to participate and and put forth effort, right, is really really where all of our work takes hold and takes strength. Mm-hmm. Um, that in community, right. Um, Colin, any last thoughts? Feel I love how you're on Trump's mailing list and you didn't like address that by any means. It's just like threw that in, like. <laughs> well, I mean, so like, I, so I was originally I was originally on it because like mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, but when he was coming here to Navy Pier, like we could get like tickets or whatever to be inside the rally or whatever. So like I I like got to, um, and I never realized because it's also it's like it's it's one of my spam emails mm-hmm. or whatever, so. But it was wonderful, really diving into that and seeing like, like people are eating this shit up, and it was like, wow, like I'm the radical left according to what Trump has to say. I'm like, well, you're not. How do I? I, 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 I wish the idea Trump has of like Biden Pelosi in his head was like true. That'd be fantastic. Hilarious. Like, yeah. I, what do you mean if they were actually well, like, he, like, he, he, like, he radical left, like Biden and yeah. Pelosi and like Hillary Clinton, which like. They're Republicans. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's yeah, like, what are you yeah. talking about? Uh, so I was like, I wish that I, yes, I, I wish, I wish everything you said was absolutely true. That'd be fantastic. That'd be great. Be fantastic. Yeah. Um, but people believe it. Like, oh, totally. it's funny socialists running right now. That'd be amazing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, you know, but, but, but I also feel like there's, there's like, not worry. Right. But there's a, there's demographic of folks who are just like, they hear socialists, right. They'll, they'll tie it with like commies. You know what I'm saying, and it's like, like you that's, take that's all immediate. of our freedom. What the fuck? Yeah, you know, and then you, you, you but but then <laughs> what happens, right, is then they they immediately close themselves off to these possibilities, mm-hmm. right? And I think one of these one of the words that I very much learned during summer 2020 in Chicago is, um, you know, imagination mm. and having imagination to to conceptualize, you know, from things as simple as like what do you see safety to be as, mm-hmm. right? As as we've started seeing the defund police really uh, take national strength, right? And specifically here in Chicago, defund CPD. It's like one of the terms, like how do you imagine public safety to Mm -hmm. be, right? What do you imagine, uh, you know, uh, community involvement in policing look like? How do you, and the word imagine, right? comes a lot. And I feel when you have language and rhetoric and media, right? Because also like if you scroll through these Trump things, it's like they'll have like decent looking videos and like, you know, the the photos are kind of like, good and like you know it's like these like you know just from like uh, uh trying to be as you know unbiased as possible you're just like damn whoever the fuck is putting this together clearly knows what they're doing and they're probably getting paid bang to do it so what do we as like on the other side to even say there's another side um fight that mm-hmm. right and so as colin mentions like we don't and then you're kind of like yeah we do but pending things and to me it's like i i fuck with my people first and then i can fight everyone else but i don't know i think there's there's understanding our placement, right? And that's really what I've learned in this summer 2020 as a movement media creator. Um, it's finding your role, right? Like we can't be out in every protest, even if we wanted to, right? And even if we could, maybe we shouldn't, you know, <laughs> to be at every single protest. But, um, you know, understanding our role and seeing that vision within the larger scope 
um, it's empowering. Yeah. And I'll definitely give you that. So kudos to you doing out there, doing your thing, being out there, live tweeting. I can't imagine doing that shit. But also putting yourself in positions where you're understanding your privilege. Like, I think that's also a huge fucking step for someone who's still in school, right? You have motherfuckers who've been doing this for, I've been doing this for 10, 15 fucking years. Well, yeah, well, you, they, they don't get it, right? They're not where you're at. And you're I think having that's tear gas, Frank. Powerful thing. Yeah. <laughs> but there, there's, yeah, she's like, it sucks. <laughs> um, but it's real. And once again, thank you once again for taking your time to hang out with you. I want to give you an opportunity to give any like shout outs. Uh, I know you already have shout out a few people and maybe plug some of the things so that people can get to know a little bit more about Grace oh. or GDV as we got it here on BNB. Um, yeah, no, thank you. Well, also, I just want to like shout out to you guys. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for having me on here. And also just like bringing up that entire point of imagination. Like that is just at the core of everything. Like probably the most like powerful ideologies that we have, you know, the power to reimagine what everything looks like. So yeah, like shout out to you guys. Thank you so much. Definitely shout out to like every single youth activist that I've like that have been out in the streets this summer. Like you've got like kids from Good Kids Mad City, you know, yeah. like you said, Black Abolitionist Network, yeah. you know, Let Us Breed Collective, yeah. like like these incredible and that's only a few. Like there are just so many. Like those people, you know, are, are life changing and you know, thinking knowing that we are going into a future where like those are the people at the forefront the way the empowering like that is like the like the way to that is just like the most empowering thing like we could have had the worst first last couple months and just like thinking that those are our future leaders or they're our leaders now is by far the most empowering thing so shout out to them um i'd like to say if you are a news consumer if you are a media consumer definitely read the chicago reader you know read uh city bureau god city bureau they just they are the perfect intersection when it comes on to like activism and journalism you know read if you if you let if you need your news hit a block club you know he's incredible and you know a personal plug shameless plug read 14 east magazine um based out of depaul but there's a lot of chicago reporting so shout out to them um but yeah it's like Shout out to all the incredible youth activists who are running shit and taking over the streets. They are incredible and they make me um, hopeful for our future. Big facts. And then soon you'll be able to see Grace on Soapbox Editorial. She's probably going to be out there on the team of the streets with Soapbox T, but we don't know yet. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> I'm just speaking that into existence. Um, but Colin, any last words for the fams? Nope. Take it away. Take it away. And as always, from Bourbon and Brown Town. Stay black, stay brown, stay queer. Stay tuned, stay tart. information on episode guests related media and topics check out the episode notes follow us on social media at soapboxpo and or visit soapboxpo.com slash podcast